Hi City Lights, we've got some really exciting news what's going to be happening from now until the end of the year. Tonight obviously we're having our worship night that's been advertised for a while, the 23rd and the 30th. Uh, and I think they're pretty much fully booked but you may be able to get, get a little spot in there. And the reason why we felt to do worship before anything else is, uh, and I think I've, sh I've shared this before, but out of 2 Chronicles 20, there was an amazing moment where it, the, the, the nation of Israel was surrounded by all the enemies. King Jehoshaphat gets on his knees, cries out to his Father in heaven, and God gives him the strategy about sending the worshipers in front. And what happens when he sends the worshipers in front, it, it, it displaces the enemy. The enemy just gets completely beaten as the worshipers stand out in front and worship. And that's what we're going to do on the 23rd and the 30th. And it's going to be a time of not only worship, but a time of prayer. And prayer is such a, a key part. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. It's, it says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to be praying that. We're going to be crying out to God, interceding for not only this nation, but for city lights, for the churches across the city, for, for, for wisdom on the government. We get to play part in shaping and molding history through our worship and our prayer. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead with those two things. 23rd and the 30th is worship. And prayer, Jesus even said that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And that's what we're going to be and go after. Then after that is where it gets even more exciting. I don't know how it can get more exciting than that. But uh, from November, we're going back to our morning meeting. I say meeting with no S. It's going to be at 10 o'clock uh, from November into December. And that's going to not only be a live meeting where people have to register and pre-book. There's going to be limited, even limited kids spaces for those who are okay with bringing their kids. Uh, it's going to be limited spaces within the hall. But that's going to be completely live streamed into your home. So there's two things off that is that you can either register. The plan is over the, month, the months of November and December that the whole church gets to come and meet and have an in-person gathering. And the weeks that you aren't in church, if you want to call it that, this is a building, we are the church, but we were not in, the, in, in our meeting, is that you actually gather people in your homes, uh, you have watch parties, maybe have a lunch together, maybe have an early breakfast, then, then watch church together, you can pray for one another, you can be in community, you can invite people who don't know Jesus into that space. And it's, uh, so it's, it's, it's really an exciting moment. And another reason why we've only done one meeting is to just really uh, give space for for the, for us to regroup and to rebuild, and it's been seven months. We worked out approximately seven months of us doing online church. Let's give Bruce a round of applause and anyone else who's been involved in online church. But now, as we as we're going to take these steps forward, this is it's a transitionary moment. It's going to take a little bit of time to to figure out teams again, to figure out worship teams, to to move forward. So that the plan by January 2021, we can go to multiple meetings. Plus, we're going to keep our online service going, I think, indefinitely. And just to add to that, that there is also going to be kids ministry online every week. So kids will never miss out. Maybe they have an opportunity to come over two months to, to actually to the building, but there's going to be pre-recorded kids ministry. So this is super, super exciting. I feel like it's a slow step forward, but this is what the vision for the next two months is going to look like. It's going to be us gathering together, us gathering online, and uh, I'm so pumped. I can't wait to give 
a bunch of fist bumps to people and elbow bumps or whatever way we greet we have to make we're going to make some standard greetings as you come in and it is going to be socially distanced it is going to be masks there's going to be uh sanitizing stations there's not there's going to be individual bottles wrapped croissants all of these things we're going to our staff is working to take on every precaution to make sure that you're going to be safe in this time but we cannot wait to gather together again we've got a guest speaker this morning all the way from Cape Town in this uh, crazy digital online church. Uh, we've got a great friend, Mark Van Pletzen, who leads Life Changes Church in Cape Town for about seven years now. He took over the church, him and his wife Candice, and their three boys, and they, they, they do an incredible job. They've already planted out a few churches. They've got multi-sites across the city, and uh, he's gonna come and share this morning. And I know when he was sharing what he was feeling, I know that it's a word of God for us in this time into our community. So let's really open our hearts. Let's open our spirits to say, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me this morning? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Mark. We thank you for Candace. We thank you for their three boys. We thank you for the incredible church. And we just thank you, Lord God, that they're going to come. Uh, Mark's going to come and just share his heart this morning, share from your word. I pray that it would mold us and it would change us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hello, amazing City Lights Church. It is Mark Van Pletzen all the way from Cape Town here, and it is such a privilege to be with you. I was last with you 18 months ago, and um, lots of love from my wife, Candice, lots of love from my kids. We think of you guys often. You're one of the churches we pray for often, and counted an incredible, incredible privilege to be in partnership with. Let me just say this, I love your leaders, I've met many of your leaders, I love them, I've known Dan and Starla for many, many years, actually Miss, Mrs. Bell or Mrs. Webster now, from the early 90s, her family, Ash and Nadine have been a great blessing to myself and to my family, but it is such a privilege, I just want to send huge love to you at this time. And then let's just be honest, Rocco and Rhea, the promises of God and God gives them rock star names, I think it's incredible, what champions. And then there is this incredible gift of a third coming. So to my mates, Dan and Starla, amazing. I'm not saying I'm prophesying, just saying Mark Webster is a strong name. It's just a strong name for a boy. If a girl, maybe Ash Webster, just saying, suggestion, we, we are learning and we all not prophesying. But anyway, in 2020, it's the year you kind of, you're expecting the comedian to pop out from behind the screen, someone to drop out behind the wall and go, ah, got you. It's not that year. It's a year God is fashioning and shaping. It's a God, year God is stretching and He's calling people into more and more of Him. And He's doing that with us. I learned something in our hard lockdown. In Cape Town, South Africa, we had five weeks of, you stay at home, don't go anywhere. So I was locked down with my beautiful wife and my three wild boys, Judah, Ben, and Daniel. Which meant life was crazy, life was big, but the pool took heat. They were in the pool. It was the middle of winter. It didn't matter. Water everywhere. What I had always relied on, though, was this thing called a borehole, a mystery to me that when I arrived in Cape Town, I realized that the house that we purchased had a borehole, this incredible mystery of which water just can flow and flow and flow. And when your pool goes down, you flow. And when you're, you're struggling for water in, in a province that has a major drought on the go, you've got water. What a privilege. Until you don't. Until the day comes when you realize that infinite source of supply can run dry. It's awkward. So you get the borehole guy in and he comes and he starts to explain to you how you can't just draw on this well. It needs to replenish itself. 
That when you draw in the water, there needs to be time for the soil to replenish the well. And that water gets drawn up. And if you overdraw and you cause a deficit for too long, the walls begin to crumble and you have a problem. Likewise, if you don't draw on the well, if you don't take from the well, the foot wells get clogged up and it doesn't get replenished again. I want to say that 2020 has exposed many things. But one of the things that's exposed in me and one of the things that it's exposed in many people is that we have a replenishment problem. We tend to overdraw at times, and then we tend to not make sure that we are drawing consistently through the years, through the days, at the high times, at the low times. And when the moments of, I need this water source now, we love to overdraw. And over time, we suddenly start to realize we're in deficit. But there's a solution in Jesus he is our replenisher. He is our restorer. He is the one who resources our souls. And I want to give you one more story and example just to illustrate this many years. And for many years of my life, I've done a canoe marathon called the Doozy. It's 128 Ks of the hottest weather in KwaZulu-Natal running with and alongside a river. You would paddle and you run and you run over a mountain. And the highlight of the whole race is right in the middle. There's this long run with your boat and you're running up a mountain, sweating for days. By the time you get there, the resources in your pack are gone. But you know there will be your seconds at that moment. You know there's a team. They are ready to serve you, love you with sponges of ice cold water touching your body. And every time that sponge touches you, it's exhilarating. It brings joy. It brings energy. You're reminded. You're refreshed. You, you are restored in many ways. There's resources that get put into your backpack and you get to carry that and you get to carry on the race reminded that you need to be refreshed and we need to replenish ourselves along the way. So here's my question to you, City Lights, at this time. Because it's a really, really important time to remember our why. To remind ourselves of why do we gather, whether it's online right now, whether it's in homes. Why do we fight for community? Why do we fight to preach the gospel in a nation where it's challenging? And I know some of your challenges. Why? See, I think if we forget the condition and the state with which people walk into our buildings, which with people walk into our homes, and in which people walk into our boardrooms and our meeting rooms on a daily basis, if we forget their true state, if we start to see them with natural eyes, we see the car, we see the house, we see the job title, and we don't see the spiritual deficit. We don't see the emotional deficit. We don't see the fact that they haven't been replenished with any sort of resource that replenishes them deep down in their soul. If we don't see with those eyes, we're going to miss the possibilities of the season. There was a lady in Luke 8, Luke chapter 8. And this is how we are introduced to her. The woman with the issue of blood. We get introduced to her with her issue. Her title is her issue. It's a challenge. And for years, 12 years, she's fought this hemorrhaging of blood. She's completely anemic. All her resources are drained. She has a replenishment deficit in her life. Doctor after doctor. Money poured out. No one can heal. Stay away, stay away. Unclean from community. And yet she pushes in why? Because she's desperate and she's thirsty. To many of the crowd around Jesus, she was just another lady trying to get to Jesus, trying to push and see what the action is. But in her soul, there was a hunger. There was a thirst just to touch his hem. 
We need to be able to see. See, sometimes the crowd can be like the crowd in Luke chapter 8. Sometimes the church can be like the crowd in Luke chapter 8. We can get in the way, especially when we don't see people's deficits and desires and thirst. Or we can be like those just hanging around at a wedding and the wine runs out. And Jesus, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, says, just take those jugs and fill them up with water. I want to speak today about finding water in the desert. And yes, I know there's no irony lost on the fact that Dubai is in the desert. And I love my Middle Eastern mates. And if anyone understands heat and thirst, it's you guys. I've had the privilege of riding quad bikes through the dunes of the UAE and realizing we really should have brought water. I know this analogy is not lost in you, but I want to preach from a man and speak about a man named Isaac in Genesis 26. The son of Abraham, a man who was the son of a man of faith. He understood that God would provide. He was the one who was placed on the altar. His dad was going to sacrifice, but the Lord provided. And deep down in his story, something got placed deep down in his soul, something got placed that God would always provide. He knew that. And yet God raises him up for such a time in a land called Gerar. And this is how the story starts. And so my point number one is simply this. The journey from famine to we've found water. Understand this. In these times, these were arid lands. Where there was no water, there was no life. Where there was no water, there was no main system pouring water in. There was no surrogate water system. That, there was just no water. There was no life. There were no crops. There were no enemies. There were no animals. There was no family. There was no nothing. And so for them, no water was an issue. This is what it starts like in Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land. Say that with me. Now there was a famine in the land. There's a famine in our lands, all of our lands. Yes, even Dubai. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So it starts out with famine and a promise of blessing. Those are two things many people struggle to hold together. The challenge of the now and the promise of a future. And yet this is how it ends at the end. Verse 30 of chapter 26. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Oh, it seems different. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Oh, relational harmony. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told them about the well they had dug. They said, We've found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. I want to say as we read that scripture, for every person, there's a journey from famine to we found. Everyone. We did a booklet three years ago in the life of our church. It was more of a coffee table book that would be left on coffee tables called Devoted. And it was just testimonies. And as I go through each and every one of those stories often, it reminds me of the journey we are called to go on ourselves and the journey we are called to take people on. The journey from famine to we're found. It's a radical journey. 
It's a journey from chaos. It's a journey of sitting with people. And you're in the moments when the world was in chaos and drugs and addiction were ripping them apart. And then years later, sitting with them in the counseling of another person who's in that place. But they're sitting here counseling them. You're going, wow, Jesus, I'm overwhelmed by what you do. That you take people ongoingly from famine to we're found. And someone is testifying of, you can find this too. And although you're in a land of famine, there's a promises that are over you if you would just take a hold of them. See, too often in the church, again, we see with wrong eyes, God wants us to see people in their state, emotional, spiritual. And most people arrive at church not going, mm, I'm looking for good theology. I'm looking for a, a good-looking worship leader who leads me and inspires me with enthusiasm. They're not looking for those things. They're not looking for great lights. They're looking for something to satisfy their thirst. They are in a place of famine, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, sexually, deficit all around them. And they're on a journey saying, I'm looking for the promise giver who can lead me to the land of being found. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're in a land of famine. I want to tell you, he's got promises for you. But what do we learn from this man, Isaac? Point number two, grounded in Gerar. It says this, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. We've read that. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. It is a radical, radical promise. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Abraham did everything God asked of him. What was Isaac's response? Here's the challenge. What's your response right now living and sitting in Dubai? And maybe you feel grounded in Dubai. Isaac was grounded in Gerar, a land of famine. And verse number six, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Why? Because for Isaac, although it was the, Gerar was this town in the middle of nowhere. We're not talking about sexy town. We're not talking about an island with exotic views. If you go look at a map, Gerar is just flat bang in the middle of, ocean, of, of dry lands. There's a lake on the one side, there's an ocean on the other side, and, and it's just flat bang in the middle. It's a land of famine. And in a land of famine, often people say, well, this is a land of famine. There's no future. I live in a land of famine right now. South Africa is under major pressures on every front, has been for a long time. And with my natural eyes, I see a land of famine. But with my spiritual eyes, I don't see every detail of the promised land. I see the promises of God to me in this land. What promises does God have for you in the land you find yourself now? Because if you're just grounded in Gerar and you're grounded in Dubai and you're just doing time and you're just sitting, you know what you're going to do? You're going to consume your resources because you won't know how to tap into them all. And God's saying, church, it's a time to shine. It's a time to live in the resources of heaven. It's a time to take a hold of the promises of God and believe them more than ever. See, for some, Dubai might be your garage, a land of famine. Maybe you've lost your job in these last months. 
Maybe you went there with dreams of all sorts of dreams. Yes, for yourself, for your family, and for the kingdom of God. And none have transpired. Maybe even City Lights Church has been a land of famine for you. Thought I was going to come here. And Dan says, if you come to church, you'll find a wife. You haven't found a wife. Dan says this. Starla says this. Someone else says this. And it hasn't transpired in your story. I'll ask you one thing. Because I love the line that said, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said... And there's a maturity journey the church has to go on. And you have to go on. And I have to go on. And it's answering this question, what has the Lord appeared to me and said? And if he hasn't said anything, will I get on my knees again and dig wells deep in his presence to hear him and to take his promises and to take his word at this time? Is God still the God of your guru? Or is God somewhere else that you need to get to so that you can get to him now we've got to read the Bible and realize, as David said, he's on the mountaintops, so he's on the valleys low. He's on the seashores. He, he's, he's in the deserts. He's everywhere. He's with you. Point number three is this. It's not what it looks like. And, and maybe you've seen that scene in every movie. The husband's watching something he shouldn't. The wife walks and says, what are you doing, guys? That's not what it looks like. I've had moments like that in my life with my mother who would walk in at inappropriate. She always walked in at the one dodgy part of every movie. And then would be the shout to my dad, Abe, Abe. And I would go, Mom, it's not what it looks like. Well, let's read from this Genesis 20, 26 verse 7. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Understand this. She's his wife. He's lying in the land of promise. He says, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. Oh, fear is in this man's heart. He thought the men of this place might kill me. He was not worried about her. Kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. What a burden to have a beautiful wife. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abinelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is your sister? Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of us men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or wife shall surely be put to death. I was meeting with a man the other day. He's navigated trial and challenge. One of the trials was he really needed to sell his house. But the challenge of his house is that the house next door had got business rights and got bought by a restaurant owner. And the restaurant owner put a big chimney up that just happened to blow all the smoke from the restaurant into and over my friend's house. So not only was it exceptionally irritating, it also meant he couldn't sell his house very easily. And he went and he's a big man. He does Muay Thai. He's been MMA fighting. He went there and they have had it out. They have shouted, he's confessed, there's been swearing, there's been everything. And one day he's walking, he's got this fight every time he drives past his neighbor's restaurant. And he hears God say, go and make right with that man. He's like, nah. He says to his wife, I've got a God, says I must go and make right. She's like, oh, I don't think you should go. It didn't end well the last five times. But he gets out of his house, he walks around, he makes right with his neighbor. And immediately the neighbor crumbles, starts apologizing, saying, I wish I'd come to you. We shouldn't have done this. A whole bunch of stuff, resolutions made. You know what happened? 
three hours later, a deal from nowhere in a depressed economic reality in an area that was difficult to sell. The house gets sold for full price, cash deal, no problems after months of issues. And he realized that God doesn't want disharmony, doesn't want lies, doesn't want anger in our story, doesn't want fear in our story. Why? Because my friend was responding out of fear that he wouldn't sell his house because of this restaurant. Isaac is responding out of fear for his life because his wife is beautiful. What a burden. What are you responding? And how are you responding? Because of fear in your story. And what is it limiting? Because Isaac gets this revelation, the king of a foreign king, a king of that land who is not a worshiper of God, highlights to the believer, to the son of God, to Abraham's son, the son of faith, says, hey, this is wrong. And Isaac makes right. You know what happens the very next verse? You see, everyone loves this verse. They forget that actually there's a preceding story. In verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Who wants a hundredfold? I want a hundredfold blessing in my life. Well, take Isaac's story and make right with your neighbors. Make right with your friends. Forgive your leaders. Forgive those who have disappointed you. Get over your stuff. Because in you getting embroiled in your stuff, there is the withholding of a blessing which could be and should be yours. I didn't do it. No, well, sometimes you do. And it's not what it looks like. Isaac thought that. And he could get away with that. But sometimes it is. Point number four is simply this. Keep digging and don't stop. See, we start our journeys. Maybe you've done it. You start an annual reading plan of the Bible and you get to day three and the digging gets hard work. You realize it's hard work. It's time consuming. It's taxing. Well, digging wells in a land of famine, digging wells in an arid land, pu pulling at wells that were previously held is hard work. It's dirty work. It means getting stuck into the challenges of the world around you. But Isaac doesn't back down. Why? Because he's seen God provide when there was no evidence of his provision. When he was lying there and his dad was about to sacrifice him, he'd seen God provide. So why would he doubt God now? I want to ask you, believer, I want to ask you, businessmen, who've testified about God's goodness, why doubt God now? Now we've got to keep digging. No matter what comes in, the challenges come for Isaac. First of all, his enemies, the Philistines, they're always around. The Philistines just never seem to go away from God's people. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug up in the time of his father, Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. So they dig, dig, dig. They're getting water. And what do the Philistines do? Let's fill it up. Then they keep digging. They find life. So they move and they dig more wells. It says this, Then Abimelech king to, to, uh, said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. This is the king of Gerar. This is the guy in authority. This was the one who gave him permission to redig those wells. It doesn't make sense. And yet sometimes there's going to be authorities and oppositions that come and if hinder your digging. But God has told you to dig. God has told you to stay. God has said on the other side of this digging and the staying, digging into His presence, digging deep in His in courage in Him, there's going to be breakthrough. There's promises. But then I love this. It says this. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. I mean, 
Come on, the herders of Gerar. Who cares about the herders of Gerar? They're not the Philistines. They're not the king of the land. They're just the herders of Gerar. And yet I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of people in the church and in the kingdom of God right now backing off because the herders of Gerar are making a noise. And they're making a noise on social media and they're making a noise in the news and they're making a noise. And that noise is causing fear to rise up and fear is holding people back. Oh, we've got to silence those voices. And what does Isaac do? Oh, the king, Abimelech. No, he forgets it all and he says, the promises of a faithful God who provided before will provide again and he will bring water from this dry and weary land. And the end result, I love it. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we've found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. The end result, Isaac gets to sit back and the people he taught begin to dig with faith and courage and get excited about the water they found in a land of famine because they never thought it was possible. And I'm sitting with my friends who've been fighting addiction through lockdown and they've brought it out into community. They've entrusted friends to walk with them into freedom and life and into a land of we found. And on the other couch next to me is a man who five years ago had to do that same journey. He went from a good job to living under a bridge, addicted to cocaine, his life ruined. And in five years of trusting God, in five years of digging, digging, digging in life into his presence, into his word, God has brought life and he's found water. And so what can he do? He begins to give water, water, water to people. And I'm just the pastor in the background sitting watching this go, Jesus, you are incredible. So Isaac shows us and models us. For every person, there's a journey from famine to found. For every person, there's a journey of being grounded in their garage. For me, it's Cape Town. For you, it's Dubai. But grounded there because of the promises of God. Number three, it's not what it looks like. She's not my wife. But sometimes you've got to take ownership. That is my story. That is my mess. It's been exposed in COVID and I'm going to trust God. And lastly, keep digging and don't stop. Keep digging and don't stop. Why? You know what still exists? In an incredible place north, on the northern edge of the Negev are the wells that Isaac dug up. Seven wells, a place called Beersheba. And, and it's an incredible thing in this place. Those wells still exist. Why? Because a man of faith in a time of famine trusted the promises of God and dug wells. Do you want the generational blessing in your story, in your land, in your name, in what God would do with you? I do. I want my kids to see a father who dug deep into his God. Even when times were tough and water was scarce, he kept digging in the soil that God gave him to dig in. But I want to give you an illustration because I know people, I'm going to invite my friend Jerry Chirwa. And uh, this is a spectacular man, a man who I love dearly. Hello, my buddy. He's a man from the nation of Zambia who came here as a child. And if you know something of the history of our nation, we shouldn't be friends in many ways. And yet this is a great friend to me. But when he arrived here, he arrived a 10, 11-year-old boy full of fear and his family and many others. And he encountered a community. He's now a 23-year-old young man full of strength, leading a community in worship, overseeing and on staff in that very same church. And coming to community because we walked in the doors. There were people who met him at the doors. And they just loved him. They said, what can we help? And you know what they did? They refreshed him and his family. 
See, in a time of famine, what you need sometimes just a sponge to the forehead brings you alive again. It doesn't get deep down inside where you need the refreshing and where you are dehydrated and your resources are gone. But then someone else comes and you walk through and the coffee barista welcomes you and he pours water down your back. Oh, see, that got chills there. But when you are thirsty, it doesn't matter the brands you're wearing. It doesn't matter the car you drive into the car park. It matters that you are thirsty and there's a water that can only get there. Sometimes it's only someone who's dug wells can show you that. And then sometimes others come and they, they replenish stocks in your fridge and they give you opportunities to walk and they fight for you. Why? Because they've been digging wells and for them to pour out is not an issue because the provider of heaven is the same provider of the water that is refreshing your soul and they know there's no lack in him. So I want to leave you with this image. In your world, in your garage, in your land of famine, will you trust the promises of God and become a well digger who brings life? A well digger who when people walk into your home, they bring freedom. A well digger who when people fall apart and they come to church late looking tired because they spent till 2 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning or Thursday morning, Friday morning, watching pornography and they walk into your community, will they encounter the grace of God that refreshes and overwhelms and gets deep, deep down inside of Him so deep that no longer are they dehydrated or lacking resources. They're just someone who's found water. You know what? The process is a little messy. But the result is life. Will you find water in your desert? Will you trust God in your guru? Will you face up to your hidden sin and your lies and your brokenness? And will you start digging? Why? So that broken, dehydrated people from all the nations of this world who encounter you will encounter the life-giving water that flows. The same water that touched the woman with the issue of blood. The same flow that flowed into Jairus' daughter. The same water that flowed into the woman who was bent over, who encountered Jesus. The same water who Jesus encountered at the well. The same water who encountered those two thieves on a cross. You need Jesus and you need that water of living life. At this time, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the life-giving water that you give right now. And I pray for my friends. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would refresh them in your presence. And I pray for those that have, like Isaac, tried to put on masks. I pray they would find courage over fear to drink deep at this time and allow the God of heaven to provide. I pray for those who haven't encountered your grace to encounter your grace in abundance at this time because you are glorious and you bring water in our deserts, God. Amen. City Lights, I love you. I love your leaders. I pray for you daily and I pray God's blessing and best over you at this time. Thank you for the privilege of being with you.